To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. everybody, and welcome back to What's This Dow All About? My name is Todd Perry, and with me is the great Dr. Carl Totten. Buenos dias! Good morning! It's great to be here, and I hope everyone have, is having a wonderful summer. Get a swig of coffee. <laughs> well, it's been hot enough here in Southern California, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, we <laughs> always wind up doing a session sometime right now in late July, where in North Hollywood, it's about 100 degrees, <laughs> and we can't turn on the air conditioner in here because if not, it screws up the audio. So, <laughs> so we, we end up losing a couple pounds during, during the show. Which is... <laughs> maybe, maybe that's not such a bad side effect. Yeah, you know, a little bit of weight loss. We, we found out what the style was all about, lost three pounds, and everybody was happy. Uh, let's see here. So on today's show, we're going to discuss... Uh, the work of a, in I guess in, you called him an Eastern philosophical uh, genius, I would say, a guy named Alan Watts. Yes. Uh, and we're also going to we're going to read part from his book, The Watercourse Way, and then we are also going to go over Chapter Nine of the Tao Te Ching. So to start off, uh, there, there's a philosopher named Alan Watts. Let me get to my Alan Watts notes. Who is a British. Philosopher who basically was popular for interpreting and popularizing Eastern philosophy and making it kind of palpable to a, a Western audience. And if you think about it, um, these ideas, ideas like Taoism, Buddhism, uh, things like that, they weren't hmm. very popular here at all. I mean, it's not that you know there's a Taoist Institute on every corner these days, <laughs> uh, but really, I mean, who had heard of the Tao in 1950? Or who even knew much about Buddhism, right? We kind of take these things for granted that they're in the ether nowadays in America or if you live in Europe. Yes. But back then, it was really, you, you, there wasn't much to learn about it. And one of the reasons they are in the ether and popular now is because of Alan Watts. Mm -hmm. You know, he started out as an Anglican priest. Oh, and, and that was in like the early 50, 1945 yes. to yeah. 50 kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I suppose he had a, an epiphany or things just weren't working out, you know, within the confines of, of that very fundamental kind of traditional uh, experience. And he started looking around and he found the East. He found Buddhism and Zen and the Tao. Right. And so through all that, he started, uh, I guess, publishing books on, on the topics of the kind of the mm -hmm. intersection of those three different philosophies. Over 20 books. Yeah. And I've read... I, I think I've read about 11 or 12 that I have in my, my library at home. Um, and so, yeah, so he, in, in, from I guess from 1953 to 1962, he did a radio show at uh, KPFK in the uh, Bay Area. And guess what, Todd? You're going to be so jealous. What? I recently, through KPFK, I made a donation. Oh. And as the gift, 
I got a flash drive with over 1,300 hours of good stuff on it, including all of the episodes of Alan Watts. <laughs> you have every one. Every one of them. Oh. What is it, like 25 years of programs or something? Wow. I've got the whole thing. Isn't that amazing? Well, I think all you need to do is you can easily transfer those over. I'll make a donation to KPFK, <laughs> all right, uh, in the name of, you know, Todd Perry, right? I'll, make, I'll, I'll show you the receipt, and then you can hand over those files, or there's going to be like... A, a Watergate-style break-in <laughs> at the Dallas Institute where I send the plumbers to come in, find the microfilm, and then, and then we'll just steal it. So, Isn't that amazing? You, you can't bogart the Watts. I mean, there's all kinds. There's 1,300 hours of stuff on there, wow. including Alan Watts. There's all kinds of I mean, amazing stuff on there. A lot of political things, and, mm -hmm. and I mean, all these speeches by Martin Luther King, and I mean, just on and on and on and on. Wow. And on. Oh, th there's a reading... The entire thing of 1984. Oh, wow. You know the novel? Of course, yeah. Uh, just incredible stuff on there. Oh, that's, that's great. Uh, yeah, so they have KPFK in Los Angeles, and I always thought that they would love our show. You know, that, that, that yes. would play well with the KPFK audience. But that's where... Um, okay, well, I'll get on a little bit more about Watson. Um, so he taught at the California Institute of Integral Studies. He had a fellowship at Harvard. He taught at uh, San Jose University, UC Santa Cruz. And the interesting thing was, uh, he didn't say that he's an academic philosopher, but a philosophical entertainer, <laughs> which I, I want on my, my, my Twitter bio. Uh, and that's how Watts presented his information. He, again, he, wasn't, he, he, was, he had the intelligence mm -hmm. and the diction of a scholar, but he saw the great cosmic joke. Yes. And how these ideas played into it and can help us get closer to better understanding them. And his explanations for things are very visceral and understanding. There's one great bit he has about um, human beings being just merely tubes. <laughs> Where, and and the, the concept of the human is really just a, a walking GI track. <laughs> Pretty much. Where we take something in, we, we, we suck the energy out of it, and then we pass it, and it keeps this mind going. Right? <laughs> but is the mind serving the tube, or is the tube serving the mind? Which has always been something that's really kind of grounded me at any moment, thinking about anything. Yeah, Watts was hysterical, too. Marvelous sense of humor mm -hmm. to go with his great diction and his momentous intelligence. Yeah. He was just so much fun to listen to. Yeah. But in Hindu thought, every individual as a person is a mask, but fundamentally a mask of the Godhead. A mask of a Godhead who, although the actor behind all parts, the player of all games, is indefinable for the same reason that you can't bite your own teeth. For the same reason that you can't look straight into your own eyes. You can never get at it because it's the middle of everything. The circle whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. Then a third model of the universe, which is characteristically Chinese, is that the world is an organism. And a world which is an organism has no boss. Even no actor. Because you see, in any organism, 
There isn't really a boss or top organ. We are accustomed, of course, in our culture to think of our heads as ruling the rest of the body. But there could well be an argument about this. I'm going to put up a case that the stomach is chief. Because the stomach, uh, the sort of alimentary tract with a digesting process in it, is surely anterior to brains. Uh, there may be some sort of rudimentary nervous system attached to a stomach organization. But it's the, the, the more primitive you get, the more you get a little creature that eats. See? It's a sort of tube. And in go things at one end and out the other. And that because that wears the tube out, the tube finds means of reproducing itself to make more tubes. So that this process of in and out can be kept up. But in the course of evolution, at one end of the tube is developed a ganglion, which eventually develops uh, eyes and ears and has a brain in it. The better to scrounge around for food. <laughs> and so the stomach point of view is that the brain is the servant of the stomach to help it scrounge around for food. But the other argument is this. True, the brain is a later development than the alimentary tract. But the alimentary tract is to the brain as John the Baptist to Jesus Christ, the forerunner of the big event. And the reason for all this scrounging around and uh, stomach and stuff is eventually to evolve a brain. And man shall eventually live primarily for the concerns of the brain, that is, for art and science and all forms of culture, and the stomach shall be servant. Now, cynical people, like dialectical materialists, say that's a lot of hogwash. It's really all history is a matter of economics, and that's a matter of the stomach. It's a big argument, and you can't decide it. Because you can't, at this stage, have a stomach without a brain or a brain without a stomach. <laughs> they go together like a back and a front. And so in, in the 1960s, he experimented with LSD and psychedelics, mm -hmm. and once famously said, if you get the message, hang up the phone. <laughs> For psychedelic drugs are simply instruments like microscopes, telescopes, and telephones. The biologist does not sit with an eye permanently glued to the microscope. He goes away and works on what he has seen. Exactly. Which, uh, yes, I, I get it. <laughs> um, so basically, you know, personally... I recall that um, when I first started getting into ideas like Taoism, I, obviously I've said many times that my first introduction was the Tao of Pooh. Mm -hmm. And then later, soon after, I got a book called The Tao of Philosophy by Alan Watts, which is kind of a, a take on philosophy. And then uh, I came to Tao, The Watercourse Way, which is a book by Alan Watts on Taoism, which we're going to discuss today. Uh, and then I, I used to listen to KPFK all the time in Los Angeles. And one morning... Because I would put it on sometimes at night uh, to go to bed. And then I woke up in the morning and, and Alan Watts was on. I didn't know who it was. I just heard this British guy speaking about these ideas that I was interested in. And then later you get the guy, we were listening to Alan Watts <laughs> and a discussion from 1953. And I was like, oh, that's the guy whose books I've been reading. So then I started finding stuff on him. And later I, there's a treasure trove on the Internet. Like on, on YouTube, there's tons of stuff. Yes. If you venture to the more dark areas of the internet, you can also find large troves of information. You know, just be sure to give a donation to KPFK or to the Watts Tapes Library. Um, so yeah, I've I've listened to hours and hours and hours of Alan Watts, and I think that if someone just said to me, an alien came from another planet, 
or from outside the universe, because his ideas are universal. Mm -hmm. You know, an interuniversal being came down to the planet and said, "What the heck is going on here?" I would say, "Here, just listen to this guy speak, and he's going to explain yes. to you the human experience and how that relates to this greater universal idea we're working towards." That's right. Yeah, if you listen to Alan Watts and to what's this Tao all about, you'll get it. It's all here. Quickly. <laughs> I mean, we haven't figured out what this Tao is all about yet, but we're... Well, at least we're asking the question. That's right. It's the most important thing. So without further ado, I'm going to play a, a few minutes of Alan Watts talking about the Tao, and then we're going to get into his book, Tao, The Watercourse Way. All right. Tao, then, is not really equivalent with any Western or Hindu idea of God, because God is always associated with being the Lord. The Tao is not something different from nature, from ourselves, from our surrounding uh, trees and waters and air. The Tao is the way all that behaves. And so the Chinese, the basic Chinese idea of the universe is really that it's an organism. The world is a system of interrelated components, none of which can survive without each other. Just as in the case of bees and flowers, you will never find bees around in a place where there aren't flowers, and you will never find flowers around in a place where there aren't bees or insects that do the equivalent job. And what that tells us secretly is that although bees and flowers look different from each other, they're inseparable. They, uh, to use a very important Taoist expression, they arise mutually. So as the bees and the flowers uh, coexist in the same way as high and low, back and front, long and short, loud and soft, all those experiences are experienceable only in terms of their polar experience. So the Chinese idea of nature is that all the various species arise mutually because they interdepend. And this total system of interdependence is the Tao. So Alan Watts' book, Tao, The Watercourse Way, is an interesting thing because he died while writing it. So he had a little more to go and didn't quite get there. But later, uh, his collaborator, Al Chung Leng Wong. Great guy, by the way. Oh, yeah. And a, and a Tai Chi master. I, I once took a uh, seminar workshop with him. Oh, wow. Just delightful. Absolutely delightful. He, he spent, well, as he was teaching Tai Chi, he spent most of his time just laughing. He was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, so Alan Watts wrote this with, uh, with, with Al, and, uh, and there's a whole bunch on the inside of the book, there's a whole bunch of calligraphy of, uh, I'll, I'll just for short enough say Al, Al's calligraphy that um, Alan Watts wanted him to have inside there. And the book, essentially, it goes over a couple main ideas. It starts off with, the Chinese translations uh, of the Tao Te Ching, but uh, we don't really need to get into that um, for this show. It'll be kind of tough to discuss uh, Chinese characters on this show, <laughs> but um, uh, it also just talks about what is yin and yang, what is the Tao, what is Wu Wei, and what is Da. And by the way, just as a, and a little addendum here, uh, one thing about the Chinese characters, you know, which are kind of like pictograms, is that they actually are, each one is essentially like a little picture. Mm -hmm. okay? And so it, that's why reading Chinese, the, the old original Chinese, if, if one can do that, you actually get a fuller sense of what's being communicated mm -hmm. because it's so visual. It's, it's creating visual imagery with 
the lines and the circles and the right. angles and you know the way that the, the 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 characters come together it's actually showing you a story wow. as well as telling it oh like a, like a hieroglyphic or something. yes yeah you know yes um so uh, in the beginning of the book on page 20 uh he's it's in, in a chapter about yin and yang um he discussed kind of how the Tao is something that is not just an internal or an external, but it's something that's kind of being co-created. And that's a big part of Watts's focus in this book, is, uh, which, which we'll get into later about how um, the, these things are not separate. And there's a lot, the idea of mutual arising is a specific mm-hmm. Taoist idea, which uh, it, we don't really see the world that way in the West. We see things as separate and cause and effect versus things coming up at the same time. Right. And he says, as we try to comprehend and control the world, it runs away from us. Instead of chafing at this situation, a Taoist would ask what it means. What is that which always retreats when pursued? The answer is yourself. Idealists, in the moral sense of the word, regard the universe as different and separate from themselves. That is, a system of external objects which needs to be subjugated. Taoists view the universe as the same as or inseparable from themselves. So Lao Tzu could say, without leaving my house, I know the whole universe. Hmm. This implies that the art of life is more like navigation than warfare. For what is important to understand, for what is important is to understand the winds, the tides, the currents, the seasons, and the principles of growth and decay, so that one's actions may use them and not fight them. Hmm. And that's a central idea, I think, for the Taoist idea versus what we're taught in the West, which is subjugate the animals, try to subjugate the weather. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah, nature. Try to control it all. Try to control <laughs> it all. And then that's, that's when we end up butting up against it versus, you know, the Taoists say, work with it. Yes. You know, work with the house rules. Yes. You know? You know, interestingly enough, I recently bought a new copy of this book by Watts. And I opened it up. And chapter four, bang, was right there. And you know what it was called? Wu Wei. Ah, great, yes. <laughs> and Watts called that non-action, not forcing, going with the grain, swimming with the current, rolling with the punch, or trimming the sails to the wind, he says. And he noted that some martial arts like judo and aikido used a similar principle of like using the force of an opponent's attack against them rather than trying to fight force with force. You know, he talked about the parable of the willow and the pine in yes. heavy snow. In, in, <laughs> you know? <in> the Changsa. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where the pine branch, being rigid, of course, cracks under the, the heft of the weight of the snow, while the willow, being more supple, simply bends and the snow drops off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Non-resistance. Right. But yet you accomplish your goal without fighting. So Wu Wei is essentially the lifestyle of one who practices the Tao. You know, it's a kind of a form of natural intelligence where one uses the least amount of energy uh, in dealing with human and natural affairs. He, in fact, he called it a form of intelligence, unconscious intelligence or wisdom. And you know, he used the principle. There's something in you know, in the martial art of Aikido, which I studied, by the way, when I was like 18, mm-hmm. 19, 20 years old. There's a principle that the founder called the unbendable arm. 
the unbendable arm. Whereas you put out your arm and you hold it as tight as you can and someone tries to bend it. And of course, sooner or later, your muscles tire and they're going to bend it. And obviously, if they're stronger than you, they're going to bend it even sooner than that. But on the other hand, if you completely let go, put out your relaxed arm, send your gaze out into infinity and imagine your arm is like a water hose and water is pouring out of your arm to infinity, effortlessly, they cannot bend your arm, no matter how strong they are. Mm -hmm. Isn't that amazing? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think Wu Wei, a lot of martial arts, like judo especially, is based on the the concept of Wu Wei. Yes. Yeah, so Alan Watts says that Wu Wei, you know, there's always this kind of debate where when people are first introduced to the concept, they think it's, oh, it means doing nothing. Right. And no, 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 it doesn't mean doing nothing. Uh, it means working with what is around you and use, using the path of the most powerful path of least resistance in exactly. many ways. Exactly. Uh, and, and so Alan Watts says that Wu Wei is the lifestyle of the Taoist, which I think is a beautiful, succinct way of saying that, you know. Yeah, Alan had a way with words, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he mentioned that Confucius used the term Wu Wei once and only once. Mm. And he and this is a quote from Confucius. The master said, was it not the the emperor Shun who did nothing, Wu Wei, and yet ruled well? What did he do? He merely connected his person and took the proper position as ruler. <laughs> yeah. Watt says that the Tao Te Ching can be taken as a manual of advice on government, as a book of natural philosophy, or as a work of metaphysical and, and mystical wisdom. And in chapter 60, Lao Tzu advises the ruler to govern a state as one would cook a small fish. Mm. Don't turn it so often in the pan that it disintegrates. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. But that's, I think there's a, there's a quote I, I saw of uh, Ronald Reagan actually using that in a speech. He quoted Lao Tzu ah. saying the government should be like a small fish because he was a you know, limited government guy. Yeah. History records the power of the ideas that brought us here those seven years ago. Ideas like the individual's right to reach as far and as high as his, his or her talents will permit. The free market as an engine of economic progress and as an ancient Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu said, govern a great nation as you would cook a small fish. Do not overdo it. I think he's probably the only U.S. president to quote the <laughs> I, I dare say so, yes. <laughs> I don't think we'll be hearing uh, quotes from the Tao Te Ching coming out of the White House anytime soon. Well, he might say that he's, like, greater than the Tao. <laughs> There's this great big thing called the Tao. All right, we're doing much better than this this Tao thing. Okay, it's good. Some people are into it. Other people are into it. I, you know, I kind of like it. But, you know, overwhelmingly, yeah, the Tao, we're better than that. We're doing be- better things than the Tao ever tried. <laughs> The Tao is failing. <laughs> uh, so in this book, um, much like Benjamin Hoff, uh, Alan Watts has a, a little bit of disdain for the academics that first kind of approached this material, because that's where this material first lived, was in the world of academia and not really in pop culture mm-hmm. or just kind of, it wasn't really a layman's practice. And so Alan Watts's great job was to try to disseminate this information to the masses. So he has kind of a little bone to pick with academics, and he believes that just discussing the Tao, much like it says the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao, yeah. just discussing the Tao is uh, 
pretty much meaningless unless you put it into action. Yes. And that's a, a guiding point of this show is we try to give practical information to people so they can you know, live their lives that way. Um, and he says, a, a one-sidedly literary and academic approach to the Tao gives nothing of its essence, so that to understand what follows the reader must know, must now, and at each subsequent reading, allow himself to be in a proper state of mind. You are asked temporarily, of course, to lay aside all your philosophical, religious, and political opinions, and to become almost like an infant, knowing nothing. Nothing, that is, except for what you actually hear, see, feel, and smell. Take it that you are not going anywhere but here, and that there never was, is, or will be any other time than now. Hmm. Simply be aware of what actually is without giving it names and without judging it. For you are now feeling out reality itself instead of ideas and opinions about it. There is no point in trying to suppress the babble of words and ideas that goes on in most adult brains. So if we won't stop, let it go on as it will. And listen to it as if it were the sounds of traffic or the mm. clucking of hens. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. Yes. And, and that's the basis of what Lao Tzu is trying to tell us. And... It goes back to the first chapter of the Tao Te Ching, the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao, yes. and not to look at life uh, projecting anything onto it or any thoughts or any feelings, and without doing that, or any biases, and without doing that, we can then see the ultimate reality. It simply is what it is. Right. And if we can simply be who we are, while what is is, all is well. That's right. <laughs> uh, and so... Let's see. So, and then there's a chapter called What is Dow? Which they should have called it What's This Dow All About? <laughs> I think Alan would like our show, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, he's kind of my, my role model, you know, for how to communicate about the you know, Eastern philosophy and Taoism in general. Again, all those years listening to his recordings, you know, on the radio. Mm -hmm. What was it, every Sunday? Yes. Right? A yes. new one would come out. It was, that was great. Like 8 30 yeah. in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Alan Watts tries to answer this question, what's this Tao all about, uh, in the book. And he says, the Tao is the course, the flow, the drift, or the process of nature. And as I call it, the water course way, because, because both Lao Tzu and Chong Tzu, Lao Tzu, the author of the Tao Te Ching, and Chong Tzu, the uh, author of the uh, was it Inner Chapters, uh, Inner Chapters, inner chapters mm -hmm. use the flow of water as its principal metaphor. But it is of the essence of their philosophy that the Tao cannot be defined in words and is not an idea or concept. As Changsa says, it may be attained but not seen, or in other words, felt but not conceived, intuited but not categorized, defined but not explained. In a similar way, air and water cannot be cut or clutched, and their flow ceases when they are enclosed. There is no way of putting a stream in a bucket or wind in a bag. Mm. Now, there's no if if you if you think about it that way, right? When you when you are uh, categorize when you are discussing the Tao, you're kind of putting wind in a bag, right? <laughs> there's no way to get to its totality. You're you're sticking a bird in a cage, right? Uh, but yes, it, it must be Chongsu says it can be attained but not seen, uh, felt but not conceived, intuited but not categorized. It's and, like talking about it is not the same as it. <laughs> right. And I think the more that people study the Tao, the more it gets in their bones and can be intuited. 
And that's and that's what we're working towards. And I think that in this way, the talking, obviously, we're not talking about the eternal Tao, but in talking about it, we're building an intuition. And that daily repetition of anything, it's like any other craft or skill you learn, whether you're playing an instrument or writing, that day in, day out, it's not the talking about writing and it's not the talking about music, but it's the playing the instrument. You start to get an intuition and the mind goes away. Exactly. And it becomes that Zen experience. And, and, and in Taoism, in fact, in pretty much everything, the only way to really kind of get something, intuit something, is to practice it, is to do it. You know, we are all, as I've said many times, we're all creatures of habits. Mm-hmm. And, and so what are your habits? If your habit is to every day get up and drink coffee and start thinking and start doing and start getting upset and start trying to manage things and start every day just trying to do, 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 do. After a while, that's how you pretty much wind up, kind of like (laughs) doo-doo. And making kind of a big mess of yourself and your life. (laughs) But if you just kind of let go and just allow things to find their flow and then try to move your flow of who you are in harmony with this larger flow coming from nature, things just work out without you having to do anything. And therefore, you wind up free of the (laughs) (laughs) doo-doo. I love that. That should be, that's your next book. (laughs) The doo-doo. How to not be (laughs) doo-doo. Don't. (laughs) Doo-doo begats doo-doo. But it's like the uh, in the Dao Pu, he talks about the busy back soon. Mm. Busy back soon, busy back soon. <laughs> It'll be back soon, but when are you in the now? When are you here, right? Uh, and then uh, Alan Watts, again, he makes a big deal. One of his big emphasis in this book is the idea of mutual arising, which is much different than cause and effect. And again, in the Western world, we're kind of taught everything is cause and effect versus things arise at the same time. Um, your, it's like I was talking with my mother one day. I was having a big heart-to-heart when I was younger, and I thought I knew everything. And uh, I was I was discussing how you know the way she raised me created you know me is who I am, and me pushing back against that right uh, created kind of co-created both of us mm-hmm. right. And it's a mutual arising that everything mm-hmm. you know it's uh, you know every everything is interconnected and interrelated, and just to look at one piece of this, you know, it's like a, an infinity symbol, and then just looking at one-third of it and saying, well, that's the thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there was a big flood and there was a big disaster and everybody lost their house. The news reported it as there was a flood and everybody lost their house. <laughs> the bigger story is why was there a flood, <laughs> right? And then what caused that and what caused that and what right. caused that? And it, it, it just everything comes back into this loop. Um, and so... He says, it is basic to the Taoist view of the world that everything, event, that everything, event, he says everything, event, and he uses it hyphenate, which is important. It's a thing, event. Everything, event, is what is only in relation to all others. The earth and every tiniest thing upon it inevitably goes with the sun, the moon, and the stars. It needs them just as much as it needs and consists of its own elements. You know, to, to break out from that real quick, it's like the tides are based on the gravitational pull of the moon, right? And how do the tides affect the life in the sea? 
right? Like how far back does this go? And what affects the gravitational pull of the moon but the Earth mm -hmm. pulling back on the moon, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and then what affects the gravitational pull of the Earth and moon would be the sun, right? <laughs> am I, am I, am I, is my science right? Yes. Send me an email. <laughs> I know I'll get one. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and it just keeps going. But Alan Watts says, it needs them just as much as it needs and consists of its own elements. Conversely, the sun would not be light without eyes. Mm. Imagine that. If there was no, well, if there was no sun, there would be no earth and there would be no us, right? But if, <laughs> uh, nor would the universe exist without consciousness and vice versa. This is the principle of mutual arising, which is explained in the second chapter of the Tao Te Ching. The principle is that if everything is allowed to go on its own way, the harmony of the universe will be established, since every process in the world can do its own thing, only in relation to others. And then this, then he points back to something we discussed a couple shows ago, with the idea of anarchy. Mm. The political analogy is Kropotkin. Kropotkin he's a big... Uh, political theorist, is Kropotkin's anarchism. The theory that if people were left alone to do as they please, to follow their nature and discover what, is truly, what truly pleases them, a social, a social order will emerge of itself. Individuality is inseparable from community, which is kind of a real... Individuality and community are... You can't separate one from the other. No, no matter what, no matter how much you try to be an ascetic, you are, you are part of a community. Mm -hmm. And then if you go on and be an ascetic, your lack of community thus creates Just your creates, individuality. Yes. <laughs> it's like we used to say in um, a communications class is you cannot not communicate. <laughs> not communicating is a communication. Exactly. This is the yin and the yang, exactly. and together they create a Tao. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, in other words, the order of nature is not a forced order. It is not the result of laws and commandments which beings are compelled to obey or by external violence. For in the Taoist worldview, there really is no external, uh, okay, abjuratly external world. What does abjuratly mean? I think it's kind of like um, objectively, right? Yes, okay. My inside arises mutually with my outside. And though the two may differ, they cannot be separated. So again, it's this idea of mutual arising, and when we start looking at different phenomenon in the world around us, we'll see they arise mutually. You know, the, the political left and right in the United States, you know, to make a boring political analogy, they arise <laughs> of each other in many ways as reactions to one another. Yeah, exactly. And to antagonize one another. <laughs> Pushback. Right. It's not one side just coming up with these ideas. It's in relation to the other side, exactly. right? Um, exactly. Exactly. And, and blowback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And blowback and overcompensation and all this nonsense. And, and Watts goes on to say, because of the mutual interdependence of all things, they will harmonize if left alone and not forced into conformity with some arbitrary, artificial, and abstract notion of order. And this harmony will emerge of itself without external compulsion. No organization in the political or co in commercial sense of the word is organic. Organizations, in this sense, are based on the following of linear rules and laws imposed from above. That is, of strung-out, serial, one-at-a-time sequences of words and signs which could never grasp the complexity of nature, although nature is only complex in relation to the impossible task of translating it into these linear signs. Mm. Wow. Mm. One more time. Nature is only complex in relation to the impossible task of translating it into these linear designs. So it's, nature is only complex because our, 
our rulers, not not rulers like, you know, political people, but rulers, actually how we're measuring things, are mm -hmm. inadequate. Mm -hmm. Right. right. It's, it's really our, our t as human beings, our tendency to use our linear brains to try to order reality. Yeah. I think that's what is really kind of getting at. That's kind of the meta. <laughs> the meta narrative. <laughs> the meta narrative you know, of that passage, I think. You know, which um, I think, as we're going to see in a bit, uh, this is it per it's a perfect introduction to the chapter of the Tao Te Ching we're going to be discussing. Ah, yes. Actually. So, uh, and also there's, okay, the, he has this idea called Li, which is organic order, which is, again, this mutual rising. Because Li, he, I guess, I haven't heard the term Li used very often in kind of common Taoist discussions, but mm -hmm. Watts is going back to the idea. The Chinese, as it is presented kind of in Chinese thought. And Li may be therefore understood as organic order, or distinct from mechanical order or legal order, both of which go by the book. Li is the asymmetrical, non-repetitive, and unregimented order in which we find the patterns of moving water, the forms of trees and clouds, the frost crystals on the window, or the scattering of pebbles on the beach. It seems that rigid people feel some basic disgust with this order. They cannot dance without seeing a diagram of the steps and feel that swinging the hips is obscene. They want to get things straight, that is, in linear order, which is, say, which is the legalistic kind of uh, way of ordering things, but not Lee. <laughs> so it's it kind of like the human, it's like it's the... The human is, again, we're talking about the Tao, we're talking about yin and yang, and there's these two different forces. There's this, As Watts says, there's prickles and there's wiggles. <laughs> and he says, the world is an inherently wiggly place, but we try to use our prickles to measure the wiggles. So that, you know, there are, there are s some people that, quote, get it, which hear the music and they move to their own individualistic dance, and there are others that need dance steps. Yes. Now, the needing dance steps could be just a foray, a foray, an introduction to the world of movement, and then they can get free, right? right, right you know, right. you can start off playing the 12-bar blues and then later go free jazz and go right. John Coltrane, 1970, right? It's like you learn the form and then forget it. <laughs> right, it's like all the great artists do that. It's like um, working in radio for a long time, um, people have, may have problems with the content of what he does, but no one ever had a could de debate the fact that Howard Stern was a genius beyond all genius cuz he knew the form of radio like right. no other like a huge right. nerd and then broke it right in in yeah. compelling ways it's like his delivery was always great <laughs> yeah. yeah regardless of the content <laughs> right but they broke all the formatics or like you know David Letterman the same thing with the talk show you know but it's all the great things now now the thing is if 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 one is of the world and now, everything I've learned, first I learned the dance steps maybe before I learned how to develop my own style or find my own voice in things. Mm -hmm. So it's not saying it's necessarily a bad thing, but I think one should learn the dance steps in life to one day disregard them. And then that is, that is the path to true individuality, right? Yes, yes. It's because you understand it at such a level that now you can become spontaneous and improvise. And, and then that, of course, allows you to be creative, which, of course... Is the, the purpose that <laughs> ultimately, anyway, right? Right. Is for every, each person to kind of dance their own tune to their own tune and create their own Tao, totally unique from any other 
thing or any other person that's ever lived because every person is that unique. Right. <laughs> They've never been here just like this before. Right. Um, so what we're going to do is, because this show is getting uh, a, a little long, um, what we can do is, let's get back to Alan Watts on our next show and get, go over a little bit more at the beginning of it. So we'll do a little teaser towards the end of the book, and let's do a little chapter from the Tao Te Ching. Of course, here. the nice thing about chapter 9 is that it's very short. Yes, okay, good. Short, but but wait. But. But <laughs> these, these things are like uh, the, the atoms that began the Big Bang, and they're full of... It's as they say, every word is pregnant with wisdom. Yeah. Or there, there's a part we didn't get to in the Watts book where he talks about the idea of duh and day, and that lots of times we talk about it as virtue in action, which is you enacting virtue or your, how you're um, performing the art, the art of the Tao in, 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 in IRL, in real life, right? But that also the day, or the duh, is the latent power in things before mm -hmm. they are expressed. Yes. And so just a few words from Lao Tzu could have the yes. latent power of a 10 megaton bomb, <laughs> right? And... Chapter 9 of the Tao Te Ching is expressed as follows. Better to stop short than to fill to the brim. Over sharpen the blade and the edge will soon blunt. Amass a store of gold and jade and no one can protect it. Claim wealth and titles and disaster will follow. Retire when the work is done. This is the way of heaven. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, yeah. My, my, my. So I, you know, I see it as basically it's a take on balance, but it's mm -hmm. it's almost it's taking it from a yang perspective. Mm -hmm. So the the yang perspective, they're saying, hey, look, don't do, don't be too hot on your yang. <laughs> my new bumper sticker. Will be. Um, <laughs> don't over sharpen the blade. <laughs> so I would say I would, I would ask this question to you: with, with the, the idea of overfilling things to the brim, that seems like a a step too far into the yang, right? On on your yin yang balance. For the, the more masculine, which I'd feel the more aggressive thing would be overfilling things, which maybe the yin would be underdoing it. Like, don't, don't put too little in your cup. Right. It's like, you know how people, and, and I think it's uh, reinforced in this society, how people are addicted to always acquiring more mm -hmm. and then more mm -hmm. and then more. And, but, of course, if you keep acquiring more and more and more, Again, uh, the Lao Tzu says this beautiful <laughs> passage here, a massive store of gold and jade, and no one can protect it. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, where are thieves going to go? To where the money is, right? <laughs> to where all the treasure is, right? It's, it's like you're, uh, uh, by accumulating more and more, you're attracting the very thing that's going to cause you to have less and less. Right. And have it stolen from you. <laughs> if you if you keep sharpening the 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 edge of the blade, what happens, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna, it's going to become blunt, if not break, right. because it becomes so thin, it can't hold an edge anymore. Right. <laughs> and so moderation, humility, and balance in all things seem to be the subjects that Lao Tzu is emphasizing in, you know, in this short uh, passage, you know, knowing how and when to cut back, to let go, to stop and just allow things to find their own nature and not overdo it are definite Taoist virtues. You know, my, my Zen teacher always advises that we should do less, not become addicted to more and more and more. Uh, as Lao Tzu says, retire when the work is done. This is the way of heaven. Yes. 
You know, it reminds me if you go back to the golden jade line where amass a store of gold and jade and no one can protect it. It comes back to the, the movie Fight Club where um, Brad Pitt, Tyler Durden, who is possibly Tyler Durden, uh, says, what you own ends up owning you. Yes. Which is a powerful thing. Um, I, I'm at the point in my life where I think I have too much. Not to say that I'm I'm... I'm rich or wealthy or whatever, but I just have too much stuff to handle, just my daily maintenance of whether it's house and wife and child and uh, commitments and all this stuff. I have overfilled myself, and I see it every day that you end up uh, enjoying things a lot less when it's, it's this compulsion or compelling, or you have to work that much harder because you got to pay that mortgage <laughs> and you got to pay that car payment, or you have to have, um, you know, you have to work so hard that you don't enjoy anything. And, you know, again, what you own owns you. And, and it even comes down to, like, you know, having too many darn plants. You know, plants are a wonderful thing, but <laughs> how much time do I have to water all this stuff? You know? Um, and also it says, you know, in claim wealth and titles and disaster will follow. I was looking at alternative uh, translation by Derek Lynn. Mm-hmm. Again, who I, I really want to get on this show. I think maybe, maybe next session we'll try to get him. Uh, who, de- who, who teaches at the Taoist Temple not, not too far from here. And um, by the way, that's a real luxury that you live in Southern California. It's like you're like, there's another Taoist Temple in this city, <laughs> which is great. Um, the and only de- other one that I know of. Yeah, and Derek Lynn's translation says that wealth and position bring arrogance, uh, which means, you know, kind of as they say, pride cometh before the fall. Yes, yes. Um, and, and then I, I, I like to line retire when the work is done. Uh, and that really rings true today. And it's not just like in the big way, like, hey, I've done my work. I'm now going to claim my Social Security benefits. <laughs> it also means that, like, put work away. And, the, and these days, I think, you know, I always, I always hate when people do, well, well, these days are different than other days. It's usually wrong just because they weren't living in those days. But I think <laughs> these days people's work, because you have your phone in your pocket, people are getting emails, you know, at 9 o'clock at night about work. And you can't completely disconnect from that and engage in your family life or engage in your social life or mm-hmm. the, the, the activities you really want to do because, you know, margin accounting just sent me something. Right. Uh, and I think it's really detrimental to our brain because we're, we're simultaneously juggling 50 different things in our own mind that we can't focus on what we're doing and being in the moment. And it was, there was like a law recently passed in France where they said, you know what, work? You can't contact people after work. You, you can't email them, which I guess is a weird, weird kind of overregulated thing. But I think the heart is there, and we kind of as a culture have to say, hey, leave me alone, Buster. You know, leave me alone. <laughs> How did uh, Timothy Leary put it? Turn on, tune in, drop out. ha, ha, ha.